All right, as Joel said, um, turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17. Uh, if you are a guest with us this morning, we have been preaching through the book of Exodus this past year, and we are loving these times together. So if you have your Bible, um, you can read along with me as we read uh, the end of 17 and all of chapter 18. So beginning in verse 8 of chapter 17. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men to go and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. And so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and the people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, so that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner. Sing a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Elizer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he had encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare. And they went to the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know the Lord is greater than all the gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro Moses' father-in-law brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, his father-in-law, before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make known to them the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, 
what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cares to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them known the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every matter they shall bring to you, or every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide among themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all the people also will go in their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided for themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Over the past several weeks, we have been seeing God lead Israel away from Egypt. He has miraculously delivered them from the Egyptians. He has delivered them through the Red Sea. He has been gracious to them through all of their grumbling. He has provided for their needs through manna from the skies. He has provided water from the rock, enough for all of the nation. He has proven himself to be a faithful provider to Israel. And even though Israel forgets and Israel complains, God just keeps on providing for them. And this morning we come to the end of chapter 17 and chapter 18 and we, and we see two different stories and each of them continue to remind us that God provides for his people. And not only for Israel, but for us. He provides for us today, church. And our, our title for our message this morning is God provides for us in many ways and we should value all of them. And I have three main points for us. First, God provides through the power of prayer, God provides through the support of others, and God provides through godly leaders. So first, point one, God provides through the power of prayer. In chapter 17, verse eight, it says, then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. As we have been tracking with Israel during their journey out of Egypt, we have seen them face a lot of difficulties. They have been trapped by the Red Sea, they've been running out of water, they've been running out of food, quarreling with themselves and the leadership but God has provided for them. But in verse eight, they are facing a new obstacle. And as the people of Amalek are declaring war on them. We're not really given much context in these verses about who Amalek is or why he is seeking to destroy Israel, but we, we know from other places in scripture that the people of Amalek were a nation that resided near where Israel was passing through. And so, Perhaps this nation was feeling threatened by a large group of people entering their territory. 
Perhaps they were seeking to gain more power through the spoil of wars. We, we don't really know, the text doesn't say, we just know that, that Amalek has an army and he is on the move to destroy Israel. Now here's the thing about Israel. They aren't really geared up for war. They have been slaves for most of their lives. They have been wandering in the wilderness just trying to stay alive. They, they have lots of people but they don't really have an army that is equipped for battle and war. And so Israel is in a really vulnerable situation here. But Amalek is coming, and they're gonna have to fight. And so in verse eight, Moses says to Joshua, you need to go out and you need to find some people and get them ready for war tomorrow. And I don't know what this selection process would have been like, but I imagine they're, they're going through the camp and, and if you're in relatively good shape and you have a, a large, sharp object that can fight with and you're probably being enlisted. That's probably how this is going. It's, it's not an impressive army. This is not a hopeful situation. It, it's like if tomorrow Redeemer Fellowship had to go into battle. As I'm standing here looking out, I, I'm not assuming that we are going to be faring very well in battle. I mean, our, 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 our fearless leader, Joel, is in a neck collar, and he, he's not able to lift anything more than five pounds for the next few months, and that's what I'm able to lift on a good day myself, and so that's not good. And we, we, we might be able to scrounge up a few of us who might be able to fight, but we would not be in good shape, church. And Israel was not in good shape. War is being declared on them. They do not have the power to fight back. And they are, they are piecing together this army, but they cannot defend themselves. This is a battle that Israel should lose. And so Moses does what God's people do when they are faced with circumstances that threaten to undo us. He appeals to the Lord for help. Verses nine through 11 says, tomorrow, I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. And these verses are a dramatic picture of our dependence upon God and the power that is available to us when we appeal to God for help. As the battle is raging below, Moses stands with the staff of God in his arms, extended in prayer before the Lord. He does the only thing that he knows to do. He asks the Lord for help. Now the, the word prayer is not used here, but this is what Moses is doing. His hands hold the staff, which is the, the symbol of God's miraculous intervention. He, he lifts his hands towards the heaven, towards the God that he knows has provided in the past and can provide in the present. Moses sees nothing as more important in this moment than acknowledging their need for God. This is prayer to the Lord in a desperate time. And notice what happens here when Moses lifts his hands in prayer. Israel prevails as long as Moses' hands are lifted, Israel is winning the battle. But as soon as Moses lowers his hands, the enemy would begin to overrun them. And, and think about this with me. The, the weight of responsibility that was upon Moses in this moment. The lives below him 
are dependent upon his persistence to God in prayer. And of course, it wasn't Moses that Israel was truly dependent upon. Israel's victory depended on Moses' prayers only because the victory ultimately depended upon the God that Moses was praying to. The God that sent the plagues upon Egypt. The God that parted the Red Sea. The God that brought manna from heaven. The God that brought water from the rock. This is the God that would overcome the enemies of Israel. And the same God is with us, church. He is a mighty deliverer. He is mighty in power. He is able to mightily provide for us, miraculously provide for us in our times of need, which is why we must be a praying church. While we're not going into physical battle, we're not going into war like Israel is, the the war that we face as Christians is no less real. Our need for God's help is no less apparent in our own lives today. Throughout the Bible, the the enemies that Israel faces are symbolic of the things that we face as well as followers of Jesus. Ephesians 6 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The battles that we face in life as believers God says are often not physical, but are often spiritual. Often our our battles are against our own sinful flesh. They are against the temptations of Satan. They are our own weaknesses. They are the weaknesses of those around us. And, And all of us this past week, in one way or another, have been at war. And maybe it's seeking victory over sin in your life. Maybe it's seeking to repair a broken marriage Maybe it's fighting for joy in the midst of trials. Maybe it's weariness in ministry and in service. These are very real spiritual battles and many of us are feeling overwhelmed by them this morning. And on our own, we will be overwhelmed. On our own power, we do not have enough in these moments. But church, we are not alone. And we do not rely upon our own power alone. We rely upon the Lord. Ephesians 6 continues, it says, Be strong in the Lord and in strength of his might, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Whatever you are facing this week, the Lord does not say just work more or try harder or be stronger. He says be stronger in the Lord. Let him be your strength. And church, the key to strength in the Lord is prayer. He is the one with the power. He is the one who supplies the joy. He is the one who gives wisdom. He is the one who is mighty to save. And so in the battles of our lives, the the first thing that we must do is go to the hill and go before the Lord in prayer. John Piper says, prayer is turning away from ourselves to God in the confidence that he will provide the help that we need. Prayer humbles us as needy and exalts God as mighty. We must be a praying people. 
It is through prayer that God often provides most powerfully for his people. But sometimes, as we know, prayer is hard, isn't it? Sometimes we don't know where to start. Sometimes it seems that that prayer itself is something that we don't have the strength for. It's in moments like this that we often need others to pray for us. Church, we must be quick to pray for one another. If someone says, we are going through a hard time in life, don't just let that phrase, I, I will pray for you this week, which we, which we so often say, let that not just be a nicety. Actually pray for that person because God hears our prayers for others and he moves. We need to pray for each other and we need to pray with each other. And if you wanna grow in prayer, church, I would invite you to join us in prayer. Pray with us on on Wednesday mornings at the church office, at the Nottages. Join us before the service on Sundays here below at the stage as we pray for our service. Go to fellowship group, pray with your friends because God moves when we pray together. God provides through the power of prayer. It is one of his great gifts to his church. But it is only one of many gifts. Another one of his great gifts is believers who will join us in prayer and will walk through this life with us. And this leads us to our second point, the second provision that God provides for his people and as God provides through the support of others. Returning again to our story, consider with me one more time Moses standing on the hill overlooking this battle before him. Imagine the weight that Moses must have felt in this moment. When his arms were outstretched, God's people prevailed. But when they dropped down, God's people were overrun and killed. And in verse 12, it says, as the battle raged on, Moses' hands grew weary. Imagine with me the moment that that must have been for Moses. His arms outstretched, knowing that the lives of those below him were dependent upon him and and imagine the anxiety that he must have felt as his arms began to weaken knowing that if his arms fell the lives of those whom he loved would fall with them but his arms didn't fall church because god provided he did not call Moses to this task alone but he gives others to help by his side The, the following verses paint a beautiful picture that the gift of partnership and friendship is. Aaron and her went up to the top of the hill and they took a stone and put it under him and he sat, and he sat on it while Aaron and her held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with a sword. What a picture this is of the value of having others by your side who can help you in life. We know that Aaron was Moses' brother. Uh, We don't know for sure who her was, maybe family, maybe a friend, but whoever these men were, their support of Moses in this moment cannot be overstated. And of course, there's, there's obvious application here of, of supporting those in leadership, and we will talk about that more in our third point, but there is, there is broader application here as well for, for our need for each other 
as we seek to follow God ourselves. And I wanna take a moment here to speak to that because there are some of us here this morning who can relate to Moses in his weakness. In fact, we all this morning can relate to Moses in his weakness. And we need an Aaron. We need a her in our life. There are many here who are feeling like, I don't know how much longer I can keep holding up my arms. You're feeling exhausted. You're feeling desperate in your parenting. You're struggling in your faith, dealing with spiritual attacks. You're you're growing tired, perhaps, in following Christ, and and you don't know how you're going to make it even one more week. And you're feeling even too weary at times to pray, too weary to hope, and you need someone who will hold up your arms for you. But we don't don't like admitting that we need help. We want to be a people who who are thought that, that we are well put together and we are strong. We don't like admitting to ourselves that we need help, and we don't like admitting to others that we need help. But often, church, that is exactly what God is calling us to do. And maybe that's you this morning. And maybe God is calling you to, in humility, admit that that is where you are at. And and later, even this afternoon, pick up your phone, send that text, send out that call, reach out to that Aaron or that her in your life, that friend in your fellowship group, and say, I am struggling and I need help. But that takes vulnerability. And, and it's scary because we don't always know how the other person is going to respond, which brings us to the, the flip side of this conversation because, because sometimes we are the ones who need help and sometimes God calls us to be the ones who bring the help. When Moses was standing on that hill, I don't, I don't know who took the initiative first. Maybe it was Moses asking for help. Maybe it was Aaron and her recognizing it, but they took action and they brought the help, they met the need, and this is what we must be doing for each other. This is what a church is called to do. If we see somebody in church who is struggling, be the one to bring the help. And of course, we, we wanna be wise in all of these things. We, we don't wanna be the person who is always unloading all of our problems on everybody. We also don't wanna be the person who who forces our help on someone when it might not be a blessing, so these things require discernment. But if we see the needs of the lives of those around us, and um, I'm speaking specifically to those of us here in this room, the members of this church, when we see those in need around us, we should be quick to bring help. And maybe, And often, that is as simple as lifting that person up in prayer. I got a text from a fellow member in church this week just sharing a struggle, sharing a need for help, and I I just, I dropped what I was doing first thing. I think I took just 30 seconds and just prayed, asked for the Lord to bring help. And earlier this week, I did the same myself. I reached out to a friend saying, I need help. I hope that they did the same for me. I trust that they did the same for me. And I think, that it would be a beautiful thing if interactions like that happen often throughout the week as our church. We ought to be regularly asking for help and we ought to be regularly praying for and helping one another. But we also not just wanna pray, we wanna be quick to actually move to meet the needs. God is mighty to provide for us, church. 
And he often works through us to mightily provide for each other. We don't always wait for the other person to ask for help. They, they should ask for help often, but, but none of us like to do that. And sometimes we, as a friend, need to just take the initiative. If a meal train is being organized in your group, be the first to jump in, in fellowship group, and bring that meal. If you know someone is struggling in their life, find them in church and say, I have been praying for you. Don't say that if you haven't, but hopefully we are praying for one another. Find them and say, look, I know that you're going through a lot right now. I don't know what all your needs are, but I love you and I want to help. What can I do to serve you? And church, if, you, if you're asked that question, let that person in. Be honest, be willing to be helped. This is one of the reasons that the church exists. Ecclesiastes 4 says, two are better than one. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not yet another to lift him up. God has provided us with a community, a church whom he calls family, that we can lift each other up and that we can be lifted up. This is one of the mighty provisions of the Lord to his church. And as we, as we move towards our third point here, we should note that this, this passage is not just a call to lift up fellow church members, but also those who lead us. Moses was called to lead the people, but he needed their help in order to do so. And there is, a, there is an application here in a, in a particular way to seeking to help those who are leading you. Rather that is your fellowship group leaders, rather that is your ministry team leaders, whether that is the pastors of the church, be lifting them up in prayer. Be quick to bring help when it is needed. And be quick to value God's provision through godly leaders in your life. Which is our third point this morning, God provides through godly leadership. As we continue on in chapter 18, we come to really our, our second story in the passage this morning, and it begins with a family reunion. We, we learn in verse two that Moses had sent away at some point his, his wife and his two sons while he was in Egypt. This was probably for their own safety as he was confronting Pharaoh about releasing the Israelites, and as we know, Pharaoh was not pleased with Moses about this, and so probably for the sake of his family's protection, he, he sent them away to be with his father-in-law, Jethro. And so for quite some time here, um, they had been separated, but in chapter 18, they are reunited. Moses, his father-in-law, Jethro, travels with his wife and his kids, and they meet up at the mountain of God. And Moses shares all that God had done to provide for Israel, and they worshiped together at the mountain. It was, I imagine, a, a much needed moment of refreshment for Moses. But then in verse 13, the very next verse, we, we see that this celebration and this family moment is over and, and Moses gets back to the work of ministry. And in the events that unfold, they, they highlight yet another way that God seeks to provide for his people. Exodus 18, verse 13 says, the next day Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. 
Moses had found himself here in this position of needing to, to be the judge over all of Israel's disputes. Israel had, had grown likely to a nation of millions of people at this point, and, and they're all bringing their problems to Moses. So Moses is, is basically acting like the supreme court for all of Israel's issues. And from sundown till sundown, Moses is leading these people in every type of dispute. Who, who stole whose cow or, or who set up the tent in the wrong spot. I don't know what all these issues were, but, but basically Moses is acting as the sole judge for all of Israel. Morning to night, exhausting himself with this work. And Moses' father-in-law sees what Moses is doing and he has some strong advice for Moses. Verses 17 and 18, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people will certainly wear each other or yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. I love that phrase, what you are doing is not good. We have, we've actually adopted that phrase around the church office as a way of correcting one another. So if we're not liking what the other person is doing or disagree with the other person, we say, what you are doing is not good. And we, uh, we like this way of correcting each other because it feels a little bit more biblical so we can justify it that way. But, 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 but in, in all seriousness, this is, this is wonderful advice from Jethro to Moses. Moses is running himself ragged from all the work. With no one to help him in ministry, he is not able to keep going at that capacity. He will suffer and the people will suffer with him. And so Jethro says, you need to find godly men among you and equip them for the work of ministry with you. And what we see here is a wonderful affirmation of the biblical value of leadership and the provision from God that leadership is to his church. In, in our culture today, strong leadership is, is often seen as a negative thing, isn't it? And, and we, are, we are wired to reject authority. And, and this is somewhat understandable because we, we see lots of examples of leadership failures in our culture and honestly, we see lots of examples of leadership failure even in scripture. And so it makes sense that we often want to resist the idea of leadership. But scripture would challenge us not to throw out the value of leadership simply because we often see it demonstrated poorly. Leadership and authority, when exercised in, in godly ways, are a great provision from the Lord to his people. And we see this all throughout the Bible. We, we see it exampled here in Moses, obviously not perfect at all times. We, we saw it in Abraham and when we studied through Genesis. We'll see it many other times in King David and Paul in the New Testament, ultimately in Christ himself, our chief shepherd. And, and in our passage this morning, we, we see not only the value of leadership, but we also see the value of partnership in leadership. Where it's not just one person leading, but where the support and the accountability and the, the collective wisdom of many leaders are serving the people. In verse 21 through 23, Jethro says, you need to find other godly men who can lead with you and can share in the weight of responsibility. And if you do this, the people of Israel will thrive. And we so value that here as a church. 
And one of the primary ways that we value this is through a team of pastors at Redeemer Fellowship. A team of pastors who are serving together, right? It's not just Joel leading our church. There's a team of pastors who are supporting each other, serving together, submitting to one another, and and in the privilege of serving the church. It is a great joy to serve this church but it is a greater joy to do it together as a team of pastors. We are convinced that this is how God calls us to lead, which is why we are committed to raising up and training pastors within our own church. This is something that we regularly pray about as a team. We spent time praying about this just this past Thursday as a team, praying the Lord would raise up godly leaders in our church because we recognize that as our church grows, the the health of our church will depend upon God graciously adding godly leaders to our church. This is, and this this really is a, a pattern that we see all throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament. Israel honored the role of mature godly men within the nation and relied upon them for leadership. Deuteronomy 1, it says, choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. And we see this pattern is one that, that continues into the New Testament as well. We see Jesus appointing the 12 apostles to teach and to follow him in the work of ministry that he was doing. And as the church was established later in the New Testament, apostles were diligent to raise up a new generation of pastors who would carry on the mission and the work of the church. In Titus chapter one, Paul says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town. And so as the gospel is going forth, as churches are being built, elders are being appointed as leaders of those churches. And when we talk about elders, we, we, we speak of the, the role, the responsibility of pastor. And, and it's important to note here that, that Paul doesn't just call for one pastor, but he calls for pastors. The, the biblical value is a team of men who are called to lead their churches. In Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus, he, he lays out qualifications for these pastors and there are many similarities to Jethro's advice to Moses and the qualifications in the New Testament where, where pastors are called to be godly men, respected, humble, trustworthy, not living for the praise of man. This is what you are called to look for in your pastors. But the reality is that these things are not often what the church today is, is often looking for. We, we are easily impressed by flashiness or by personality, we, which can impress on the surface, but, but do not equate necessarily to lives that are eager to follow Christ and walk in humility. Fortunately for us at Redeemer, flashiness and personality are, are clearly not qualifications, which, which is good news more for some than others, um, but, but this is not what the church needs. The church needs leaders who are committed to walking in godliness and wielding the word of God. Among the most important qualifications for pastors is the ability to teach the word of God. Timothy and Titus instruct pastors must be able to preach and teach and effectively defend the truth of God's word. Titus 1.9 says a pastor must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught 
so he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. In addition to teaching, 1 Peter 5 says pastors are called to lead, are called to govern, and to lovingly care for members of the church. 1 Peter 5 says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And these passages, and, and so many more throughout the New Testament, clearly speak to the provision that godly pastoral ministry is, where qualified men teach and shepherd and lead and care for their local churches. And we see in the scriptures that, that pastors are, are not meant to carry this responsibility on their own. They are to receive help from one another and they are called to receive help from those that they lead. E Ephesians 4 speaks of how pastors should equip the saints to share in the work of ministry, to help them in the work of ministry. It is good and right for pastors to equip others for ministry, to listen to the voices of the church, to lead in humility, to lead in a, a willingness to receive counsel ourselves from the church. We, we hope to do this well here at Redeemer Fellowship. And as we do this, we see also a, a biblical pattern in the New Testament of not only godly leadership, but also of churches that are willing to follow godly leadership who are willing to honor and to celebrate God's plan for the spiritual care of his church. Hebrews 13 says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. Those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. And church, even reading those words right now is such a humbling thing. As, as great of a joy that it is to be your pastors, it is a weighty thing to know that we will be called to give an account to the Lord for the way that we lead and for the health of the church. Because ultimately, as 1 Peter 5 instructs us, we as pastors are called to follow the chief shepherd, which is Christ. He is the one with the true authority, amen? And he sits on his throne today as a supreme head of the church. And we as pastors do not lead as we want, but we lead as Christ commands us to. And just as Paul himself did, we, we ask that you would pray for us, that we would hold fast to Christ ourselves, that we would lead in humility and in godliness, that we would remain in, in unity as a team of leaders, that we would be faithful to the word of God. We need the Lord's help for this. And church, you need the Lord's help for this. As much as we have spoken here about the, the value of pastoral ministry, we know that the call to ministry is not to us alone. The call to serve and to lead and to care for God's church is given to every believer. Scripture is filled with exhortations to all of God's people to pour out their lives in service to the church. The example of the New Testament is, is men and women who are committed to using their gifts and their strengths to advance the gospel and to build the church. God calls men and women to serve, to disciple, to evangelize, to, to teach, to lift one another up. And, and we all are called to ask this question, how is God calling me 
to join him in the work of ministry. And church, we do this boldly because we know who our chief shepherd is. It is Christ who is our great provider, who has given his life for ours, who has brought us near to God so that when we go before him in prayer, when we lift each other up in prayer, we are confident that he hears us and that he works for our good. He provides for us. We follow Christ who not only moves through our friendships, but he himself calls us friend. He moves towards us. Christ himself supports us in our times of weakness. We follow Christ, the chief shepherd, who lays down his life for the sheep, who leads in the way of grace and humility and love. We are provided for in many ways, church, but the greatest provision we have is Christ himself. And church, what a comfort it is to know that, that unlike your pastors, unlike your fellowship group leaders, unlike the people sitting beside you right now, the arms of Christ never weaken. He does not grow weary. He does not stumble. The chief shepherd never fails you. He has given his life for you on the cross he has already carried the full weight of the burden of your sin. He has raised you out of the pit. He has redeemed us, church. And he sits on his throne this morning. And all power and authority belongs to him. And church, he uses all of that power, all of that authority to lead us and to care for us and to provide for us. And church, if he has done all of this for us, should we not be confident that today, that tomorrow, for the rest of our lives, he will provide for us. This is what he does. All glory be to Christ, our provider. Amen. Amen. Church, let me pray for us now.